Joel chapter 2. I've entitled my message this morning, and I feel passionate about this. I feel strongly about it. Coming into a new year, um, coming out of a fast, and, and having this while in my spirit while we were fasting, that God is a God of restoration. God is a restorer. To restore is the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. Restoration is the act of returning something to its original condition of wholeness. Making something new again. Restoring can also make things better. The Bible says a lot about this topic. And our loving Heavenly Father has restoring power for each and every one of us. I think we all live, I want you to hear me this morning. I want to speak to you on the theme of restoration, of God restoring you, restoring your life, restoring things in your family dreams, visions, your future, and giving you a hope. Amen. I think we all live, and I, and I say all, and I underline that, all caps, regrets. All of us look at some missed opportunities in our life. Mistakes that, you, that you've made that have set you back in life mistreatment, abuse by others that have seemingly stunted your growth. And then there are wrong choices that have caused wasted years and wasted time. Then there are life circumstances that have pulled the rug out from under you. During COVID, for about two years, there were missed graduations missed wedding celebrations, missed events, missed parties. Our son is going to be married. His wife-to-be had all plans for a certain wedding as young brides do, dreams of a certain venue, a certain place, and a certain celebration. But we know that COVID just put a, put a kibosh on that. Their wedding was not what they wanted it to be, what they hoped for it to be. In life, there could be sin that we commit, our own wrong choices, our own failures that cause setbacks, broken relationships, lost money, lost reputation, lost I think if we're going to be honest this morning, if you're over 10 years old, could even be younger. <laughs> we all have regrets, disappointments, heartaches. We don't know how we can recover. We don't know how we can live life fully. We wonder, can we make up for lost time, lost relationships, and lost memorable moments? My hope this morning is that through the eternal, powerful, relevant, awesome words of Almighty God, 
you might be encouraged, you might be hopeful that God has made a promise that is very relevant. God has made a promise that speaks to the heart of this issue. God has a word from his scriptures because nothing, nothing, nothing on earth, nothing in your life or my life, nothing in all of history ever takes God Almighty by surprise. We even know the fall of man back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. They failed, they rebelled, they disobeyed God. They brought judgment on themselves. Their whole life was darkened. They moved out of the, the age of innocence into the age of guilt and shame and heartache. But even that, nothing takes God by surprise. The Word of God tells us that God already had an answer to the question of the sinfulness of humanity. He already had a Savior. For the Word of God tells us that Christ was the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world, from the very beginning of all creation. So for you and I this morning, God has made a promise a promise that could help us understand or answer the question, how can I recover? How can I have joy again? How can I be blessed again? How could I even smile again? I want you to understand, I want you to know today that God is the God of restoration. In Joel chapter 2, if you would open up in your Bibles, your apps, whatever form you have, I want to see you, I want to see you doing this with your phone. I, I, you know what that is? That's flipping up that notification because you're not even going to get distracted by, by little, little whoever just sends you a little heart or something. You're not getting distracted this morning. Turn to the person next to you. Say, I'm not getting distracted. I'm going to stay focused. Listen, not because I'm so great of a preacher, but because, because God's word is so great and so awesome. Joel chapter 2, verse 25 to 28. Here is the word of God. So, this is God speaking I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you will know that I am, the, I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. What an awesome promise. What an awesome word. Restoration. God Almighty himself tells his people who have had wasted time, wasted uh, uh, prosperity, wasted fruitfulness, wasted opportunities. God says, I'm going to restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Hallelujah. What is restoration? It's the action of return, returning something to a former owner or a former place or condition. Some synonyms, refresh, rejuvenate, renew, renovate. 
Now, when we talk about renovations, the images of many of the programs on HGTV come to mind. When they, when they show the pros who take a broken down home, outdated, worn, tired, some have, are rat infested, some have ceilings that are caving in, some have uh, cracked foundations, they're just a mess. Then a pro, now let me just emphasize a pro. You know, they're a pro, they make it look easy. Uh, I don't think you and I could do it that easily or that cheaply. They have a lot more experience, they have a lot more money, they have a lot more, so this is, don't try it at home necessarily. Uh, you could, you could, but don't think it's gonna be like the pros because they have skill, they have vision, they have creativity, experience, and they dramatically take that house and that property and transform it into a beautiful model home that would make your jaw drop. Truly amazing restoration. You know, some of the programs, how many of you like Fixer Upper? Property Brothers. Track, um, uh, trading Spaces. Love it or list it. This old house. Flip or flop. All of these programs uh, have become so popular on TV. And it's truly amazing how they take uh, a piece of property, a house that is just like so beaten down, so old and so tired, and then they renovate it. And what are they doing? They're, they're actually restoring that property. They're actually taking that house. They, they, they use maybe the structure, but they add all of their creativity, all of their skill, their design, all of their expertise, and they make it something beautiful. This illustrates in a measure what God promises to do for those who trust him. Restoration biblically. To receive back more than has been lost to the point where the final state is greater than the original condition. Oh, my Lord, I don't think you're getting that this morning. I need you to elbow that person. Come on, they're still tired. They're still weary from the fast. Come on, you pray for me. I got to preach. Amen. Uh, but, but I don't know if you get it. I'm going to repeat that. Restoration biblically is to receive back more than was lost to the point where the final state is greater than the original condition. Hallelujah. What a promise from God. What a word from Almighty God this morning. God can restore broken dreams, broken lives, broken past. He can restore wasted time, wasted years, wasted opportunities. Only God Almighty can do that for you. I can't make up for my mistakes, my lost time, my lost opportunities. But I have a heavenly father who's got such great promises in his word. And he says, I'm going to do it for you. You see, God is seen throughout the Bible as blessing his people for their faith and hardships by making up for their losses, giving them more than they previously had. What a promise. What a hope. What an encouragement. I want us to go back to the text. We're in Joel. Anybody ever heard of the prophet Joel? Listen, I'm your pastor. I'm trying to help you. When you get to heaven, you don't want to be embarrassed. Some of these prophets will come up to you and, hey, I'm Joel. You'll say, who? Joel Osteen? No, 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 not Joel Osteen. Joel in the Bible. Some of you don't know who Habakkuk is. You don't know who Malachi is. You think it's an Italian name, Malachi. No, it's Malachi. 
But I want to introduce you. And, and you see, um, when you have a text of the Bible, you have to understand it's in a context. And if you don't understand the context or you take a text out of the context, all you have is a pretext. And what I mean by that is you have nothing to, to base your life upon. You don't have a good foundation. You have a faulty one. And sometimes, uh, all the time, cults, what they do is they take a truth or a word or a scripture here and there. And that's why they're so dangerous because they do have some scripture and some word, but they take it out of context. They take it away from the Bible and they, they interpret it any way they want to interpret it. And they don't have, And people that are gullible that don't know the Bible just take it all in. We have to understand every verse of scripture, God wrote it in a context. He wrote it in a setting. He wrote it in, in a place where there's relevancy and, and it adds to the, 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 the power and, and, and the confidence that we could have as believers when we read the scriptures to know we're basing our life on a firm, firm foundation. Joel was a prophet of God. Joel was in approximately 800 years before Christ. And he was a prophet. He was a spokesman from God who received the word. And see, the prophets of God, we have to understand something. They didn't always just prophesy of future events, although that's part of the prophetic ministry of a prophet. But they also, what made them a prophet was they took what God already said what he already said, and they applied it to the current situation. In other words, they contextualized the message. They took what God said and they applied it and said, this is what God was saying and that's why you're where you're at because you disobeyed God and God said if you did, this would happen. And so now he begins to connect the dots for the people. So that was the ministry of a prophet. They would come on the scene and, and they would begin to speak of the relevancy of God's word for where the people are at. And see, here is Joel coming to a people who were living, they were living in the land and they were prosperous. They were being, they were being blessed. But what happened was they began to stray, they began to backslide, they began to sin, they began to disobey God. You see, Someone has once said that for a hundred people that can handle adversity, only one could handle prosperity. Let that, let that settle. What I mean by that is when we're in adversity, when we're in lack, when we're in want, when we're in difficulty, what happens? We have a more of a passion to seek God. Some of you become prayer warriors and you know how to pray and fast when you're in a need. And me too. But what happens when God begins to bring the blessing? What happens when God begins to prosper his people? What happens when we come into the promised land? When we, we inhabit houses and we have lands and we have cars and we have prosperity and we have things. Oh, you're looking at me, pastor. I'm, uh, you know, who are you talking? I'm not, I don't have my rich. You know what? Biblically, you are rich. No, 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 no I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean spiritually. I meant in biblical sense, in, in biblical times, anyone that had more than their daily bread was rich. Okay, I don't know if you're... I, I got to go back and I got to start Genesis 1-1. 
What am I saying is that all of us, even if you don't think you have much, can, according to the world's standard, do you know two-thirds of the world live on $2 or less a day? Don't Google it now. Google it later, but you'll see. The, the, they live on just a few dollars. And what am I saying is that when we prosper, it's easy to become lax. It's easy to become complacent. It's easy to become self-sufficient. And that's why as your pastor, even though our church is blessed in so many ways and we have so much to be thankful for and God is moving and, and God is blessing our church, so many good things, so many good testimonies, we do not become complacent at Victory Church because we know that God has so much more. And we know that we got to keep pressing on and we know that we got to keep seeking God. Why? Because we don't want to be a castaway. We don't want to backslide. We don't want to sit back on our laurels. We don't want to just rest and what God did 10 years ago or 20 years ago because God is a God who's a God of the now. He's a God of the now faith, now faith, right now, believing him, trusting in, and pressing in. And so the people, they began to stray in their prosperity. They began to forget God. And it's so sad that we think we could make it on our own. And that's, you know what that simply is? It's pride. Pride, it's something that we're all susceptible to and all vulnerable to. It's probably, it's the chief of sins because when you have pride, you become, you're blinded to all other things and the devil has you. Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself. So what happens? So God, in his mercy, sends an army of locusts. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a country or a place where you saw swarms of, swam, swam of, I'm thinking of swamas in Israel, sandwiches. I'm getting hungry the fastest. How, what is the word? <laughs> swarm. We, when we go to Israel, we're going to have swamers. Swama. <laughs> Rewind the tape. Swarms of locusts. And the locust, look at, I want you to, I want you to turn, turn to chapter 1. I want you to turn to chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel the prophet, Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your day or in the day of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let their children tell their children and their children another generation. What the prophet or what God was trying to impress upon the people, that God sent swarms of locusts. They were locusts in four different stages. And what one swarm left behind, the other came and devoured. It was four successive. And the scriptures say, uh, I, I believe it's, it, it's verse, um, verse 7, it says, my, he had laid waste my vine, ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown its branches away. Chapter 2, verse 3. A fire devours before them and behind them flames of, uh, flame burns. The land is like the garden of Eden before them. Behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. When I was studying this, uh, some of the commentators said that Joel is one of the most descriptive and picturesque, and, and it's, it's a literary uh, gem in the Bible because of his uh, flowery words or the way he explained things. And in what image, he, he was saying that the locusts came in, and before them was the Garden of Eden, plush, 
green, fruitful, just beautiful. But after them, it was a wilderness. They literally stripped everything. What, what, what swarm left, uh, uh, one lo- the locust left, another one took more off. The next one until the land was bare. And what was that? What was that? Now, now go, go to chapter 2 again, verse 25. I will restore to you the lo- years the locust have eaten. The crawling locust, the uh, consuming locust, the chewing locust. Look at this phrase, my great army which I sent among you. Interesting. My great army, which I sent against you or among you. You see, God sent this plague of pestilence. God sent these locusts And in this passage of scripture, God leaves no doubt as to his responsibility as to who sent the locust. God takes responsibility. God said, I did it. Now, some of you might say, well, my God doesn't do that. Well, your God is not the God of the Bible. Hello? Oh, it's getting quiet in here. I got got to work this a little bit more. God said, I sent this great army. God allows suffering in our life to drive us back to him. The psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. A few few verses later in Psalm 119, he said, it was good for me to be afflicted. Oh, my Lord, this doesn't work in America. This doesn't work in American culture. This doesn't work in a day and age when, when, when Christians think it's, you're going to be cool to, to follow Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I look in the Bible, uh, Jesus was meek and lowly. The apostles were persecuted. They were tr- thrown out of cities. When they had church, it wasn't all cool. Hello? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. God uses suffering, and I've said this before. God will send or allow temporary pain for your eternal gain. Oh, I don't know if you're hearing me. I don't know if you're believing what I'm saying, but the word of God is true. The Bible says even Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. If Jesus had to suffer, you and I have to go through some suffering. And sometimes we go through things in our life, and we, we, we experience loss. You see, what you and I go through, we don't understand all the time. God allows some suffering. God even sends judgment for our sin. We live in a day and an age where people don't want to take responsibility for their decisions or their mistakes or their sin. We live in a culture where it's the blame game. We blame it on other people. We blame it on the president. We blame it on the Republicans. We blame it on the Democrats. We blame it on church people. We blame it it on some pastor, not this pastor. I know you don't do that. But we blame it on people. We never take responsibility. But let me tell you, you and I sin. We fail. We make mistakes. We lose ground. We've done things that have caused waste in our life, caused wasted opportunities, wasted relationship, wasted time, because God has allowed the consequences of our sin to to play out. There are consequences. And if I just left it there, that wouldn't be too encouraging. 
If I just left it there and said, amen, let's go home, you'd be all depressed. Because there's not one person in this place that hasn't lived with the regrets of wrong choices, wasted opportunities, and, 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 and failures and mistakes. Things people have done against us that have caused waste and caused time to, to just slip away. But I want to bring this to a conclusion. I want you to understand something this morning. That God has provided for your lost time. God has provided for the lost ground. God has provided for the lost seasons of your life. And God knows how to make up for what you lost. You see, you know what God can do? He can accelerate your anointing in your latter years. He can bring opportunities that you missed and thrust you years ahead. You know what God can do? He can make up for lost time. One, one latter day, your latter days can be greater than your former days. Even when it was your fault. I have met drug addicts and alcoholics that have wasted 10, 20 years of their life. They came to Jesus and they said, Pastor, I've wasted relationships. I've, I've ruined things for other people. I've ruined things for my life. I can't make up for lost time, but I tell them, no. But you know what God can do? He can make your future much more fruitful, much greater, much more of a blessing than you could even imagine. If I was making that promise, you could say, I don't believe that. But God makes that promise. He tells his people whom he sent the locusts to devour the land in judgment for their sin. It was their mistake. They deserved it. But you know what God says? I'm going to restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. My army which I sent against you. What was God saying? He was saying, listen, you cannot make, you, you can't make up for the time. You can't buy back the time. But you know what, you, what I can do for you? The harvest, the future harvest that I'm going to give you is going to be greater than the harvest you would have had before that. Come on, give God praise. I am so glad that even when it's my fault, even when it's your fault, even when the locusts eat away, at your time, your fruit, your life. Because you and I deserve it. See, God is holy. God is loving. He's good, but he's holy and, and, and he's just. You know, there's such a cry in our culture for justice. Social justice. And, and that's awesome and that's good. We should be about that. But don't we think God is just? We want justice on our terms. But God says the soul that sins will die. The Bible says whatever you sow, you will reap. But God in his mercy and in his grace gives us a wonderful promise. And he says to you and I, when, but we got to humble ourselves. This morning, God still will give you another chance. Maybe there's someone here today. You've lost time, you've lost money, you've lost ground, you have regrets about the education you wish you got when you were younger, the, 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 the relationships you should have invested more time in, 
And now you look at a future and you say, where am I going to go? But if you would just humble yourself and just admit, God, I'm at fault. It's not, I'm not going to blame anybody else, but it's me, oh Lord. God, forgive me. God, restore me. God, make a way for me. And you know what? God in his mercy doesn't give you and I what we deserve. You and I deserve it. We deserve the, the, the consequences. We deserve the, 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 the effect of our wrong choices. But God in his mercy not only gives us mercy, he gives us grace. You know what that is? He's given us blessings that we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. But grace is getting blessings that we don't deserve. Why? Because we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Hallelujah. We sing that song, I'm going to go to the enemy's camp and I'm going to take back what he stole from me. I think we need to resurrect that song. You know, the devil, he's under my feet, he's under my feet. Satan is under my feet. I have a pastor's friend uh, from out of state that I went to Bible college with. And um, they were singing that song in his church years ago when his son was just like five or six years old and he came home one day and he said, Dad, the devil sure is short, isn't he? And he says, what do you mean, son? He said, we sang today, the, de the devil's under five feet. He's under five feet. Satan's under five feet. I want to just close with a verse of scripture in 1 Kings, or 2 Kings chapter 8. I want to show you the miraculous power of God to do something that seems, coincidence isn't even a good word, just it's truly supernatural how God put pieces of the puzzle back together again to minister to someone and to restore them. 2 Kings chapter 8. Then Elisha, spoke, then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had raised, this is 2 Kings chapter 8, had raised, restored to life, arise, go, you and your husband, and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine. Furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to make her appeal to the king for her house and for her land. The king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, tell me please all the great things that Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he restored the dead to life that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman. This is her son whom Elisha restored to, him, to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day, day she left until now. Wow. Let me just... just paraphrase it for you a little bit. Here's this woman 
She's told by the prophet to go into another uh, country to, to just sustain herself for seven years. She comes back to her, her property, her home, and her land, and someone's, someone's living there. And someone's been hop, taking the harvest and consuming it themselves and for themselves. You know, I, I've gone to some countries in Africa, and I was surprised. I went to one country, and I saw a sign on a house. I never saw this sign uh, in real estate. It says, not for sale. Not for sale. I said to my, my host, I said, why do they have a sign, not for sale? Um, usually have a for sale sign. Uh, what I was told in this particular country, uh, that people, they build a house, they have a house, then they come to the States or go to Europe, whatever, and then some scam artist comes in, draws up false documents, and sells that house to someone. So the person comes back after many years, and someone's living in their house, and they got phony documents that say they own it. So they put a sign on the house, not for sale. So this woman, she went back to her home, she went back to the land, and somebody had taken possession of it, and it wasn't theirs, and they wouldn't give her what was rightfully due. So she goes to the king, she appeals to the king that he would restore her land and all the proceeds from it. So look at God. Look at how God works. You say, well, how can God change my situation? How can God make up for lost time? How can God bless me? How can God make up for years that I, I wasted? How can God, how can God, how? Look what God does. This woman walks in to the, to the administrative office of the king of the nation to make her appeal. And at that very precise moment, Gehazi, who was an assistant to Elisha, was just telling him the story about how Elisha had raised a woman's child from the dead. And Gehazi goes and says, here's the woman right here. You want to talk about God aligning things for you? You want to talk about God making a way where there is no way? You want to talk about God just opening a door that no man can shut? God accelerating growth? God accelerating ministry? God accelerating opportunity? God opening doors and wowing you? That's what God can do. At that very moment, she walks in and the king says, he said to the woman, you know what? He told the king to the certain officer, restore all that was hers. Restore all. Restore all the proceeds of the field from that day until now. You know, there's a, there's a, a law in, in, in Israel, in, in, the, in, in Exodus or Leviticus, it says, if a, if a thief is found, he must restore sevenfold. I want to call forth a sevenfold series of restoration in your life what the enemy has stolen God will let him pay you back God will bring it back to you hallelujah would you stand together with me I'm going to ask the singers and the musicians to come back praise the Lord praise the Lord come on right now right now I want you to begin to pray right now Come on, some of you are afraid. Some of you, some of you are, are in pain. You can't look at your, your loss. You can't look at, you can't look at the devastation of the land. You just can't, you can't bring yourself to face it. But God said to them very clearly, listen, what the locusts have eaten, what has been wasted, 
I will restore. You've got to have the faith today. You've got to stay in faith. You've got to walk in faith. You've got to live in faith and confess that my God will restore the years. In my life, personally, that has become a wonderful, wonderful promise that I have just stood upon. And I have believed that I would see God restore some things in my life, my wife, in just so many areas. God is so good. God is a God of restoration. And as we begin to sing, I want to spend a few moments in prayer. If you need to leave, please, please, I want the ushers to keep those doors closed. If you need to leave, leave, do quietly, talk on the other side. But please, let's keep this a sanctuary, a place of prayer. I believe there are some people here this morning that have suffered the consequence of, a, of an invasion of locusts. Not literal ones, but figuratively, things have been wasted. There are some things we've all had to grapple with. We could all have regrets. We could all be bitter. But you know what? You could be in your 20s and still you could be in your 40s. You could be in 60, 70, 80 years old, 90 years old and be bitter, be discouraged, be, be negative. And that, that's what life does to you. Amen? Isn't that true? But you know what? In God, we look to a God who says, I'll restore the years. You say, Pastor, I'm 70 years old. And I say, I'm catching up to you. We're all going in that direction. I'm 80. You know what? Only God, and, and I just want to read this one, one last uh, Charles Spurgeon. He, um, he said this. Charles Spurgeon was the prince of preachers. Had a way with words. He said this about this passage. It will strike you at once that the locust did not eat the years. The locust ate the fruit of the years, labor, the harvest of the fields, so that the meaning of the restoration of the years must be the restoration of those fruits and of those harvests which the locusts consume. You cannot have back your time, but there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings, the unripened fruit of years over which you mourned. The fruits of wasted years may yet be yours. I believe that resonates with every one of you here this morning. The choice is yours. Will you believe what God has said? Yes, but. Yes, but. You need to kick your butt out of the way. You need to say, yes, I believe. Yes, I will humble myself. Yes, I will repent. Yes, I will say, God, forgive me for my bad choices, for my part of the problem. And God, I leave the restoration up to you. God, you said you'll restore the years that the locusts have eaten. My locusts are different than your locusts, but the effect is still the same. It's wasted harvest, wasted fruit, wasted rewards. 
but God says, I'm going to restore it. So as the team begins to sing, we've come out of five days of prayer and fasting. And, and I believe that the fruit of our fast is going to reverberate through 2023. But I believe God wants to give you a word today. And I believe that word is restoration. God wants to restore you. If you need prayer or if you want to take a few moments before you leave today, I want you to just come forward as the team begins to sing. And I'll pray with you. Some of the other leaders will pray with you and just solidify and cement that word in your heart that it'll ring true in your spirit and you'll see it come to pass. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. restoration.